Alright. So it's good to see everybody this morning. Um, I'm kind of pick up sort of from where we started or where we were last week. You know, we, we were talking about last week the overview of the Holy Spirit's work. And um, so I'm gonna go from there because one of uh we'll just we'll just quick review. We we said last week that he was a, the Holy Spirit's a distinct person. Uh, he in a person of the Trinity. He's not a he's not an it. He's not a concept. He's not a force or anything like that. He is a he's a distinct person. We we said he was he's active. He's involved in our lives. Very active. He, he's not passive. Just a. It's not just a concept of this thought of well he's over there. It's the spirit of God. No, he is a person and he's very active in our lives. Uh, he, he's real and relevant. Uh, he's not imaginary. And some people almost have the when they speak about the Holy Spirit, it's almost like they think he's he's just this imaginary being out there. That it's the influence. And when when God works in our life, that influence is called the Holy Spirit. Now, that's that's not the, what the, the scriptures teach. Uh, he is deity. We talked about that, but he is not to be worshipped by himself, aside from God the Father and God the Son. Uh, we worship the Godhead. Uh, so. And the reason we make that distinction is because there are people, uh, denominations, that very much focus all their attention on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and, and exercising those gifts, the gifts of speaking and tongues and, and different things like that. And so we have to be very careful that we don't uh, go down that path. We talk about how the Holy Spirit came as a comforter. He's a constant companion to us. He, he dwells within us. Scripture says that, that our bodies are His temple. And that's a, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? When, when you get saved, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. And when you think about how the, uh, the Jewish people, all the, the effort they put on the, the, the synagogue, not synagogue, the uh, tabernacle, and then Solomon's temple, and then the rebuilt temple, and how much effort they put on everything being in the right place, everything being taken care of properly, uh, nothing uh, being brought in that would defile that temple, well, when we think about the Holy Spirit living within us, then we need to be very careful that we don't do anything that would defile His temple too, don't we? So it's a very sobering thought. And we worked. We talked about how the Holy Spirit works among non-believers. He He works to convict them, and Scripture says He He works to uh, convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment. And we talked about how He goes about that, and He He, he builds a case steadily in the in the life of an unsaved person, so that. Uh, at the end of the day, so to speak, they know without, with absolute certainty that they're guilty. That they are the ones who stand before a righteous God guilty of sin. And that they can't do anything to remove that sin themselves. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to convict people of that. And we talk about how important it is that, that we know that's His job, it's not ours. We can't convict people. In the, in the court of heaven, we are, we're not called to be the prosecutor. We're called to be witnesses and just tell what we saw, what we have personally experienced. And it doesn't always just help to say, well, you know, Kevin, in his life, he's, he's been saved. You're talking to a lost person. Say, well, Brother Kevin, he had this happen and this happened and this happened. Well, that's hearsay. We're, we're to be direct witnesses to people, and, and we can tell them what the Lord's done for us. You know, he saved us. He, he brought us out of sin, and he set us on the right path, and he delivered us. He took away that burden of sin, so we can be witnesses. Um... And then we talked about how the Holy Spirit works among Christians. He, he brings us to the point, um, or He works in our lives to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in everything He does. 
because that's his ministry, to point us to Christ, not to point us to himself, not to, to detract uh, any of the attention or any of the worship from the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, but he points us to him, and he points us uh, to remind us of what Jesus taught us. And, and the Lord said that. He taught that to his disciples. I'm going away, but I'm going to send you someone who's going to remind you of all the things I taught you over the years and that I've, I've been with you. And so we call that illuminating. Uh, that's his ministry of illuminating Scripture and teaching us uh, about the Scriptures themselves. So this morning I thought we'd take a closer look at, at just what it is he illuminates and just talk about the Scriptures themselves a little bit and learn it. And I think it's mostly going to be reviewed, or I hope it is for Christians, that, that these are things we already know and that we'll just be reminded of them. So let's pray if we can before we go any further. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for allowing us to have open Bibles in front of us. We can study the Scriptures. We can read them. We can memorize them. Uh, we can rely on them day by day in our lives. But, Father, we're so thankful that we have the Holy Spirit, and part of His ministry to us is to illuminate the Scriptures. When there are portions of or passages of the Bible that we may not quite understand, He can show us. He can help us to understand them better. He can apply them to our lives. He can show us how that um, Your Word uh, can help us to live more fulfilling lives and in lives that, that honor you uh, in greater and greater ways. And So we, this morning as we, we look at these, um, uh, these passages of Scripture, I pray that you might speak to our hearts and that you might teach us what we need to see and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a couple of, uh, among Christians, there's a couple of, or among people who say they're believers, I guess, those who worship the Lord, um, there's a couple of ideas about the authority of Scripture. And one of them, you've probably heard this term, it, it has become more in vogue in, in recent years, sola scriptura. It's a Latin term. And it means simply solely Scripture or Scripture only. The idea there is, or the gist of it, is that the Scriptures or the Bible that we have is the only authoritative source of guidance that we need for faith and practice. We don't need anything else. There's, there's nothing else that needs to be added to the Bible for us to, uh, to, to um, uh, behave ourselves or to live a Christian life. And it teaches us uh, what this, this view of Scripture teaches. That It teaches us what we believe, and it teaches us how we carry out those beliefs. So that's what Scripture does for us. And that's really what we need to know, isn't it? We need to know what it is we believe as Christians what it is that brings us to a point that we recognize we're sinners and that Jesus can save us. And then after we're saved, you know, the Lord could just leave us alone at that point. Or he could take us back to heaven, but he leaves us here to live Christian lives so that we can be witnesses to other people. And so not only do we need the Bible to teach us what we believe, but we need to know how to carry those beliefs out in an effective way. And a lot of times, if you read doctrinal statements for churches or for uh, Christian organizations, um, you, they'll have words something like this, we believe the Bible is the supreme and final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And that's a very good statement. It's a very clear and succinct statement, isn't it? The Bible gives us everything that we need to know in, in, uh, in all matters of faith and practice. And that is, by the way, one of the Baptist distinctives. And we, if, you, if you call yourself a Baptist, that is one of the things that you believe is that the Scriptures themselves give you everything that you need in order uh, to, uh, to, to live a Christian life, to live an effective Christian life. And so that's the term, the idea of sola scriptura. There's a second um, 
uh, view of the uh, authority of Scripture, though, and it says that, yes, we've got the Bible, and that yes, that is God's Word, but we need to add something to it. Because it's not quite... It's not quite finished, and so we need to do something else. And so there are a lot of people uh, down through the ages, not just today, but down through the ages uh, that have accepted other things alongside the Bible. Remember the Jews uh, at the time of Christ, the Pharisees had these traditions that they had started to add to the, uh, to the Scriptures. And yet the Bible teaches this, but the elders have taught us this. We need to do this. And one of the one things that comes to mind is the the special ceremonial washing of hands. And the Pharisees got on to Jesus and his disciples one time. Your disciples don't wash their hands properly before they eat. And and Jesus had to chide them for that. And he said, that's that's the tradition of yours. That's not God's word. And he, and he got on to them. And he said, you got a bigger problem than us not washing our hands. Your bigger problem is you don't obey the scriptures themselves. And so he, he rebu- rebuked them for that. But they had those, those things that they brought alongside the Scriptures. The Catholic Church, oh man, it's got all kinds of things that they, they bring in. If Paul was here, he could, he'd be sitting back there grinning wide when you start mentioning this. Now they've got papal proclamations. The Pope will say something. And it becomes, as we might say, it becomes gospel at that point. It's, it's set in stone because the Pope said it. It must be true. Uh, they've got uh, historical traditions, and they've got writings of uh, ancient uh, church uh, forefathers, and they bring those things alongside the scriptures and say, "Yeah, the Bible's good, but we've got all these other things too. We've got that are just as important." Well, they're not just as important. The Bible is is the only thing we need. The Mormons, they have the Book of Mormon, and they have other writings that they bring alongside the scriptures and say they're just as important. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they have a lot of things that uh, that. Extra biblical writings will say that uh, they bring alongside the scriptures and say they're just as important as the Bible, but they're not. Cults, we read about those in in our lifetimes that uh, the cult leaders will whatever they say, people are just they're just sitting there and they're waiting to hear whatever their leader has to say, and that well that's just as important as what Jesus said because he's the modern Messiah or whatever they want to call him. But they're not. They're, they're, they're going and they're adding something to Scripture that shouldn't be there. Let's bring it a little closer to home. And you may have seen this happen. I hope that no one ever here has ever had that happen. But there are Christians in our day, and I think they really are. Uh, many of them are really saved. But it's almost like they take the words of their, their favorite preacher or their favorite evangelist or their favorite Bible commentator and it's almost like they raise those up to the same level of the scriptures themselves. Well, you know, brother, Reverend Dr. Elder so-and-so said this, and so it must be. It must be just as important as anything Paul, the Apostle Paul would have said. It's dangerous when we get to that point, isn't it? It really is dangerous to put anyone on, a, on such a pedestal that we, we might even think that something they said would be just as important as something that we would read in the scriptures. We would like to think that that Christian leaders, Christian teachers, preachers, whatever, would only say what's in the Word of God, and they wouldn't try to add their own editorialization to it. But that can happen if we're not careful. And But wouldn't it be foolish for us to believe that an all-powerful and that an all-wise God would choose to communicate with humans and then not establish a clear method of communication? Wouldn't that be foolish for us to think that God would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my message to humans, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to encapsulate it in a Bible, 
But it's not going to be clear to them that, 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 that that's all they need. They're going to think in every generation we need to add something to it. Wouldn't it be foolish to think that that all-powerful and all-wise God would be wondering, would leave people wondering, is there a piece of the puzzle missing? You know, I, I got these 66 books in the Bible, but I think there's something missing. And there's this guy down the street, and he's preaching on the street corner, and he talks about having these visions that give us more information than we ever had before. Wouldn't that be foolish for, for us to think that God would need to do that? Wouldn't it be foolish for us to, to think that, he, that God would allow fallible people in every generation to add a little bit extra? The Bible would just keep growing, wouldn't it? And we'd never know what we had. What we've got is the canon of Scripture that has been, and it's got God's blessing on it, and we don't have to worry about someone adding to it tomorrow to where we thought, oh, I thought I had this, I thought I knew what salvation was all about. I, knew, I thought I knew what God's expectations were for me, but uh, you know, this new book came out last week, and i got to read that because I might have missed something. God might have missed it when he, when he put the Gospels together, when he put the New Testament or the Old Testament together. Now, that's, that's, that would be foolish, wouldn't it? Scripture says that God is not the author of confusion. But I'm going to tell you, people can't make that claim, can we? I, I, you can ask my family. I can create all kinds of confusion in, in, a, in just in a split second almost. So adding personal or denominational or um, editorialized comment to the Bible, that creates a great deal of confusion, doesn't it? And Scripture says God didn't create that confusion. People did. So we've got to be careful. We, we fall back on that idea that it's only scripture that's what we need we don't need anything else added into it in order to to have everything that we need for faith and practice so we want to talk about those are the two views and i think i can uh, we'll all agree we'll, we'll hold to the first view that scripture is all we need the bible itself gives evidence for its uh, having that sole authority and we'll, i'd like to take a little uh, look at that if we could because given the the human tendency that we have to uplift ourselves or to uplift our work or our opinions, it's important uh, that we understand that the Bible alone is that authority. So let's see what it has to say about its own authority. If you've got your Bibles, you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. These are incredibly familiar verses. I'm sure to everybody here we could probably all <coughs> excuse me, we could probably all quote them. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 say this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The Bible's basis uh, for faith and practice, we see it here in, in these verses. It says that uh, first that uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and you've all heard this. That means, uh, literally, it's been God-breathed. Can you say anything without breathing? You can't, can you? That's, that's how we speak, isn't it? By forcing air across our, our vocal cords. So it's as though God is breathing out His Word to uh, those who were capturing it on paper. And it says it's, it's profitable for us. It's profitable for doctrine. Doctrine, essentially, we can boil it down to, to a simple or definition. It's God's expectations. Doctrine teaches us God's uh, standards of holiness. This uh, is as though he's saying, I'm God, these are my standards. Deal with them. Then it goes on, Scripture teaches us that. 
And it leaves us wondering, if it stopped there, we'd be like, oh, I can't do that. I can't live up to those expectations. And so Scripture comes along later and it says, it's also um, profitable for reproof. That reproof is, Scripture, not only does it show what God expects, it proves to us that we can't live up to those expectations. That's the Holy Spirit illuminating us and saying, you don't measure up. Not a one of you. All of us were born sinners. And so we can't measure up to it. And Scripture is profitable to teach us that because we needed to know that. We didn't need to go through life thinking, well, yeah, I'm probably good enough. I grew up in a family where um, it was, the idea was, if you're good enough when you die, if, you're, if your good deeds outweigh the bad, then you're okay. You're going to get into heaven. And a lot of people still believe that. Scripture doesn't leave us with that. Scripture makes it very clear. These are God's standards. You don't measure up. But it doesn't leave us there either because it's profitable also for correction. And that's showing us that faith in Christ will correct the problem. We won't ever measure up to God's standards but we don't have to bear the, burn, the punishment of the sin because Christ has done that for us. And so Scripture gives us that. It, it, it essentially applies that correction factor to us. And then it says it's profitable for instruction in righteousness because it also isn't enough. It's not enough for us just to know the God's standard. It's not enough for us to just know that we can't meet the standard. It's not enough just to, be, to have that corrected in our lives. He gives us instruction in righteousness that says, okay, now that you've been saved, this is how you need to behave in order to live an effective life for Christ to, in a way that honors the Lord so that you can be an effective servant. You can be an effective witness. And so Scripture is important for that. It, it's, it um, gives us that instruction in righteousness that we need. And of course, we don't do righteous things just so we can be saved. We get saved far before we start doing the righteous things. We do the righteous things. We do the right things because we love the Lord and we want to honor Him. So since Scripture provides all of this instruction for us, there really isn't any need for us to need supplemental sources, is there? Scripture gives us all we need. Jesus Himself demonstrated the authority of Scripture in His ministry on earth. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, we'll read some verses. That'll show that demonstrates this for us. Matthew chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 1. This was after Jesus was uh, baptized. We're told then, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these sons be made bread. But he answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is written. He's referring to the Scriptures. Verse 4, I mean verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city, or into the holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. Saith unto them, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. And here the devil even, he quotes Scripture as well. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Again, quoting Scripture, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. 
Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. I like that verse 11. Then the devil left him. It's effective to use the word of God against the tempter, isn't it? And that's what Jesus did. After his baptism, the Holy Spirit allowed him to be led into the, into the desert area. He was tempted by Satan. And three times, those temptations were all repelled by two things. One of them was a reliance on the Old Testament scriptures. That was the only scriptures available at that time. The New Testament didn't exhibit or exist. That was the Word of God. That's all that he needed. The second thing that helped him was actually quoting that scripture in the time of temptation. I would say never, ever, ever underestimate the power of the Word of God. And I think sometimes it might be, we might do well to follow the Lord's example when, uh, when we're tempted to actually start reciting the Word of God that we know. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. He can bring, remember, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter and He's going to remind you of the things I've taught you. He's going to remind us of Scripture when we need it. And, and the, the Word of God says that we'll never be tempted above that which we're able, but with the temptation there will always come a means of escape. I think that means of escape often is the Scriptures themselves. Just that reminder. Satan, it is written. Satan, get behind me. It is written. This is what the way I, I'm supposed to react to this. And so it helps us to, to do that. And we see that in the life of Jesus. So he demonstrated the authority of Scripture. Uh, Matthew, we're still in Matthew chapter 15. We'll read a few more verses. And this I alluded to just a few minutes ago. Matthew chapter 15. We'll start reading in verse 1 again. They came uh, to, to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God? by your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The Pharisees complained. Jesus' disciples weren't washing their hands appropriately, appropriately according to the, uh, the, the traditions of the elders. And Jesus rebuked them. He said, you don't come at me because my disciples aren't following your little traditions because you're not even obeying the commands of Scripture. He's giving the authority to the Scripture. He said, you're elevating your traditions to that same level as the Bible. Stop it. You're hypocrites. Stop it. Obey the Word of God is what he's saying to them. If they'll hear him. So Jesus, uh, he, he is demonstrating the authority of the Scriptures. And he and the apostles all referred to this to the uh, Old Testament scriptures somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred different times in the New Testament. That's a lot of references, isn't it? They put a great deal of stock in the Old Testament. They repeatedly referred to it as to God's written word. It's been established, and it's what you need. You don't need the elders and their traditions. So that added further credibility. 
to the scriptures being our only authority uh, for matters of faith and practice. The Bible warns about uh, changing anything in scripture. You don't have to turn to these verses. I'm just going to read a few. Deuteronomy 4.2 says, Ye shall not add, ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Don't add anything to it, is what they're being told here. Nothing. Keep, and, and don't, not only do you not add anything to it, to it, don't diminish anything from it, don't take anything out of it either. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6 say, Every word of God is pure. He's a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Oh, that's getting serious, isn't it? He says, if you're going to add something to the word of God, you're going to be found to be a liar. Because God has established what he wants us to hear in his word. He didn't need help from any of us. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19 say this. I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. It's pretty serious injunctions against anybody who would tamper with the word of God, isn't it? Don't, you don't need to add anything to it. You don't need to take anything away from it. So some very stern warnings there about us doing anything that would change Scripture. The Bible also teaches us uh, regarding the content of Scripture. We're told that the Holy Spirit moved men to put uh, God's Word into writing that would be established for all time. And we'll read a few ver extra verses. You don't have to turn to these. Yeah, some of them probably are very familiar. Second Peter 1, chapter, uh, verse 21 says, Prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved. Literally, that means as they were carried forward, as the Holy Spirit moved them forward. They spoke and they wrote these words. It says, I'll read it again. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit moved them to write those words. And so it's only fitting that the Holy Spirit would be the one to illuminate those words. When You'll see this in, in the world of academia. Uh, or the world of uh, uh, research. If, if someone does some level of research, they make a new discovery, what do they do? What do you hear next? They'll have them at some symposium, and they'll write a paper, and they will present that paper so that people understand the research. So the people there, if they have questions about the research, they can ask that person because they're the author of the paper. They're the author of the research. That's only fitting, isn't it, that you would want to do that. If you had a, um, a surgeon, a heart surgeon, and he came up with some new um, artificial heart or something of that nature, and you wanted people to understand it, you wouldn't come to me and say, Clint, could you explain this new heart thing? Because i got no clue. I'm not a heart surgeon. You would call that, that person who had done the research, and you'd say, could you explain this to us? Well, that's what's happening here. The Holy Spirit moved these men to record the, the Scriptures, so if we don't understand them, we have access to the, the, the ultimate author, don't we? We can pray and say, Lord, I don't understand this, the words of this verse. I don't understand this passage. And the Holy Spirit can illuminate us and help us to understand it better. Psalm 119 and verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. People can try to destroy it. There have been, there have been um, 
actual governments who tried to destroy copies of the, of the Bible. They, they would try to burn them or confiscate them. They can do all they want, but the Word of God is settled in heaven, and they're not going to assault heaven and, and take away uh, uh, the basis of our faith, are they? They can't do that. They simply can't. It's been established forever. Matthew 24 and verse 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my, and this is Jesus speaking, my words shall not pass away. They're not going to change. Uh, They've been established forever. And I think it's interesting to note that as the scriptures were being put together, the, the, the earthly, the human authors didn't start a campaign to get their books included in the scriptures. You never anywhere hear of Matthew going around trying to get people to sign a petition. Like, there's some people getting together and they're going to build something called this New Testament. And I want my book in there. So if you sign this petition, a petition, if I can get 5,000 signatures, I'll be guaranteed that, that my book can be in there. If I get 10,000 signatures, they've told me that mine will be the first one in the New Testament. No, no there was nothing like that. Isaiah, as, as his prophecy was being uh, pulled together, he wasn't jockeying for some kind of position within the, the Old Testament. No, that, that's not the way it happened. God did that working through other men generations later, who examined the scriptures, examined the books that existed, and made determinations on some very strict criteria of which ones should belong in the canon of scripture. And that's now been closed. We have 66 books of the Bible. And that's been closed. There aren't any more being added now. A lot more could have been included, couldn't it? There were other gospel accounts. We hear about them every now and then. Every few years, somebody publishes some new gospel account by somebody you've never heard of. And there were other Old Testament prophets, I'm sure, that were prophesying in, in the days of the Old Testament. There were other people, maybe some of the judges may have kept a diary of the things that went on during their time. Some of the kings of Israel, Judah, they may have written some things. But God chose what needed to be included in the Word of God, and He led men to make those decisions. And so in His providence, He saw to it that we had all that we need in written form. And so we have the, the sole authority that we need. The last thing that we can, that we can uh, discuss is the clarity of the Bible. The Bible's complete. We know that. It's also understandable, isn't it? Largely understandable. It's a, the theological term for that is called perspicuity. I don't use that term very often. I don't know if you guys do. But I don't think I've ever had to come up in conversation. But it simply means the Scripture's understandable. God intended... For people to be able to understand his message. We don't serve a God who tries, who says, I'm going to give you this, this message, but I'm going to couch it in terms that no one could possibly understand. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? We don't serve a foolish God. He has a message to us. He makes it very understandable. And there's no need for additional documents. There's no need for additional letters. There's no need for additional traditions or religious pronouncements. We don't need a Pope to tell us anything that extra that we don't have because God made the Word of God very clear to us. And the Holy Spirit assists us by illuminating Scripture for us. He assists us by guiding us to understand it. He can even guide us on a day of, if we're looking for direction, He can guide us to the right passage. He can even bring us to a church service with a need that we've not told anyone about and sit in a church service and hear a preacher stand by a podium like this one and preach a message that we're like, how did he know that I needed to hear that today? That's the Holy Spirit working. That's what he does for us. Isn't that amazing? 
I'm not a mind reader. And I don't know of any preacher who is. So it, it, when, if, if we go into a church and, and we hear a message that the preacher or we hear it on the radio, a message, that's the Holy Spirit doing that for us. It's amazing. So He illuminates us. He or illuminates, illuminates Scripture for us. He guides us. And He provides those preachers and those uh, teachers and those commentators and, and the people that we need to help us. And we, as humans, need a lot of people to help us, don't we? I, I, I can tell, I'm, I'm, I'm so very thankful for the, for the people that the Lord has brought into my life. And I, you can probably all say the same thing. Uh, I tell you, when I was a teenager, and the first church that I went to where I actually remember hearing the gospel, um, Dale was the pastor of Rhonda's brother. And Dale remains to this day one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard in my life. The, the, just the clarity that he was able to... And I know that part of it was the Holy Spirit was opening those scriptures to me, but I couldn't get enough. And I'm thankful for men like that. I'm thankful for men like uh, Brother Frank McGuire, who taught me so much. And Brother Russell Crisco, we've been praying for him. And, and other men like that. And men I've heard on the radio. Oh my goodness. See, you think about the, the likes of Dr. J. Vernon McGee or um, Dr. John MacArthur. We hear... Um, Warren Wisby, one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard. I've got several of his books, and I just ah, you can't get enough of stuff like that. And, and more recently, I've 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 had the, the privilege of, of hearing lectures by people through the um, uh, an online seminary that I was attending, and and just amazing. I was exposed to things I never would have been exposed to if I hadn't been had that experience. But the, the Holy Spirit leads us to those, and I know that there are now there's Robin. Has, has sat in on some classes for from uh, Dallas Seminary. Just free classes if you want to sit in and, and listen to the lectures and uh, the Bible Broadcasting Network. They have free uh, classes that we can take. We have so much that can help us. And what does it help us do? It leads us right into these 66 books of the Scripture. None of it leads us off to some obscure little thing over here that we need in addition to the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit, He provides the things that we need to understand from the Word of God. So in closing, I'll just say this. God chose some things. He chose to communicate with humans. And I'm so thankful He did because we needed that. He chose to communicate with us. He chose to do it in the written Word of God. We call that the Scriptures. And He chose to make the Scriptures fully sufficient as our guidance for faith and practice. We don't need anything else. You've heard me say that I don't know how many times in the last half hour or so. We don't need anything else except the Scriptures, do we? He chose to do all of those things. And I'll, I'll end with this. God never changes. He chose to do it that way. He has never since chosen to do anything different. And because God changes, we can also say His Word never changes either. We can hang our hats on it. And so I hope that was helpful this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for allowing us to look into Your Word. Thank You so much for providing Your Word. Thank You, Father, for... Uh, allowing us to understand your word alone is uh, sufficient. Uh, it gives us the sufficient basis uh, for everything that we need for our faith and our practice in our lives. Thank you for bringing us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through your word, because we know that he was he was uh, he lived a sinless life. He was crucified. He died. He was buried, and he rose again, all according to the scriptures. And everything that we need to know about our faith and practice it will be in accordance to the Scriptures. And we don't need to look anywhere else. 
And so we pray that this church will continue to be one that stands upon the Word of God. Pray that it will continue to be proclaimed from this, this pulpit and from uh, the witnesses in this congregation. We pray that souls would be saved as a result of it. We pray that Christians would be encouraged in their daily lives, their daily walks as a result of that. And we just ask, Father, that uh, the Holy Spirit would continue to teach us what we need to know uh, to be more effective Christians. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.